1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
2: Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm your host, Elaine miller Carris And today's show is entitled Courageous Women and Resiliency 2022. The question of courage has been in the minds of many of us of late. And for me, it was sparked by Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony in front of the January 6th committee. Many have spoken about the bravery of people over the ages to speak about moral principles being breached when others kept silent. And when I saw her um, speak in front of the committee, I thought, my goodness, she's so young. You know, what does it, um, what, how do people like her um, speak her truth to power being so young. And so it started me on a kind of trajectory of talking, of thinking about this. And I was talking to joy about it. And, and also I, I kind of pulled out some of my favorite quotes about courage. And the first is from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of the past presidents of the United States of America. And he's, he said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear and then the other one is from one of my favorite um authors of all time and just a person who was on a treasure of the planet i will say um maya angelou who said courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage you can't practice any other virtue consistently you can practice you can practice any virtue erratically but nothing consistently without courage so miss miss hutchinson's bravery and other and other women like civil rights leader, Rosa Parks, you know, a very small, diminutive woman who yet said, no, I'm not going to move to the back of the bus. And again, I'm asking that question. I was asking that question of myself. Would I be as courageous as these two, these two women? And many of us, I think, can be driven by fear and have been in situations maybe where we kept silent and maybe others when we didn't. But what, what is it about some who can? in spite of great threat to their lives, summon their courage. So today's show will address the issue of courage and we will address why connectedness is also important when we talk about courage. Now, Andrea has worked with the courageous woman who experienced the imprisonment at Auschwitz. She will share the wisdom she learned about their courage and her own reflections of being a courageous pioneering woman in the field of mental health and resiliency. She will also give us a peak preview of the Conference Resiliency 2022 and why it is important for all of us to consider how do we cultivate our well-being and what are some of the things that we can do with intention to increase our well-being, which some people call resiliency. So let me tell you a little bit about Joy. And if you've listened to my show before, this is her third third time with me. Um, I think she's been my most frequent guest so far. Joy, I think that is true. But she is an internationally known licensed psychotherapist, professional trainer and author. She's a leading authority on relationship issues and Holocaust studies. And Dr. Miller's work has been recognized by numerous organizations, including the National Association of Social Workers, Citizen of the Year Award, the Center for the Prevention um, of Abuse Peace Award for Individual Achievement and the YMCA Leadership Award. Joy, it is always a joy to be redundant to have you on the show. As we start, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about as we get started today?
3: Well, I'm just excited to be with with you, you know, because we're we're just sisters and have been sisters with different mothers. We've laughed about that, both being Millers. Yes. Um, So I guess what's on my mind is just mostly excitement to share time with you and with your audience.
2: Well, I'm so excited to have you too. And so I'm going to start out with, not an easy question. So you've heard what um, President Roosevelt said about his, what he thought courage um, is, and also Maya Angelou. So what has given your courage, good courage in your life? And how would you define courage? Not an easy question for a beginning question. No, I know. I'm, I'm asking you those hard ones. You know, I often think about uh the cowardly lion in the wizard of oz right he he wanted so much to have courage and he didn't think he had it then all of a sudden he did have it when it was when the people he cared about were threatened and that overrode his fear of his own demise so right. and that is the perfect opening because for me
3: um living in my community Um, within the Jewish community, um, there was always fear. And all I heard about was fear and what had happened to us and what I needed to do to ensure that it didn't happen again. And um, it seemed like fear was around me everywhere. I would go to Hebrew school, which if you're not Jewish, it's this torturous thing that you go and you learn how to read Hebrew, um, which was not something that was my, you know, reigning stardom. I'll tell you that. Uh, I think I was at the bottom of the class, but um, (laughs) my, my teachers both were interned in Auschwitz. They um, wore short sleeve shirts all the time. So their numbers always showed. And it felt like when you are, 9, 10, 11, 12, that it was always in my face. And it was there to remind me that I always had to be aware of what the possibilities were.
2: You know, I'm just wondering, Joy, too, if you can just say what the numbers were, because there might be listeners that may not know what that is. What were the numbers?
3: Those were the numbers that were tattooed on their arm of their number that that was given to them in their concentration camp. And so they were etched in their arm. Um, So for me, fear brought out courage because I couldn't live in the fear. I was having nightmares every night of, if this happened again, what would I do? And so trying to be courageous, and as a young child, I think you try and come up with plans. So in my mind, I always thought, Well, I have blonde hair, I have kind of bluish green eyes, I'll pass as an Aryan. I will be able to get through it. And then I started thinking about the people I love. And could I do that? Could I walk away from them? And so it was always this conflict. And so for me, I really do believe that courage came from fear. Um, And it was the same way for the scarecrow. Yes. And um i found my courage i had no choice because i couldn't live being in fear all the time so i had to face whatever and that's what brought me to um my doctoral work and my dissertation because i needed to finish some of the unfinished business in my life
2: well and i think when we talk about courage and i was i was really struck again by um um Ms. Hutchinson's testimony, and it's kind of fitting into what you're saying, is I thought, wow, she, you know, clear. And this, I don't mean, as our listeners are hearing us talk, I don't mean this to be political. I really want, you know, whether, you know, whatever your political persuasion may be, is that, but I really wanted to say, why is this woman speaking up when others have not? And I think what you talk about is you come to this, this time in your life, when you're saying, well, do I want to be silent or not? And, and so for her i felt you know when i heard her talk about her values and beliefs and when she heard that there was nothing no protection for the vice president that that was that crossed her beliefs and values about herself and i guess what i'd call the rule of law you know i'm married to a judge and you know my husband and i are very different politically and we've we've had some lively discussions we've been married for like 48 years but we've we've all, we have this core belief in the rule of law, and I felt that with Miss Hutchinson, that that was what you know was which why she could no longer do that. And then when I think of Rosa Parks, the immorality and injustice, um, and then she could no longer do that. And we could sit here and talk about many many people that we've seen. You notice that I'm mentioning two women, and that doesn't mean that people who are. Um, uh, men haven't been courage, or I think there's a lot of courage right now being demonstrated by people that are transgender from the LGBTQ plus community, because they're standing up, even knowing that their lives can be in, in danger because of who they are. And so I think we're seeing this in many, many different avenues. So I'm, I want to kind of segue into, I mean, if you have any thoughts about what I just said first, and then we'll talk a little bit about your research.
3: Oh, no i i agree with everything that you you basically said and um the word justice stood out to me because inside me there there is this um this nagging feeling all the time about justice and fairness and always worrying about um helping other people and i think that was a driving force as well um for my courage because it wasn't just for me it was the connectedness to other people in my life and why
2: i chose the path i did well and as you say that i think you know it's like i see that with many people who can see the larger picture and their values and, and beliefs are worth standing up for even if it's perilous to their physical survival and i interviewed a couple of weeks ago leslie carroll who you know from northern ireland and I had I've know I've known Leslie for many years, and I was just in Northern Ireland about a month ago. And I I just want to highlight it here. If anybody wants to go and listen to that show, that was about three weeks ago. But she told me about a story when she was eleven, and when she was eleven in a little village that she worked that she lived in, there was a couple that lived right down the the lane from her. And her family was Protestant, and they were Catholic. And this husband and wife, who the day before they were killed, had just, you know, on their morning, on their evening walk, had passed their home. But that was something, you know, because I asked her what made her be the person she is now. And she is one of, I would say, one of the courageous women on the planet. She's the currently, she's the prison ombudsman for Northern Ireland. But before that, she it called her to be a Protestant minister. And even before that, she met with um, and was part of um, a collaboration between the Protestants and the Catholics to see how peace could be brought between them. And I think that she does it you know, from that lived experience, just like you're saying, um, the people who've lost your own family and saying, we need to make this a different world. And I think that's why Rosa Parks and Cassidy Hutchinson, maybe people will disagree with me about this. But again, I'm not saying this about politics because I know that now Cassidy Hutchinson has to have a security detail because her life has been threatened because she chose to speak her truth to what she saw was against the rule of law. So again, she, going back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, even though she had fear, she still stood up. And that's why I wanna to talk to you about your research um, with women su- um, survivors of the imprisonment at Auschwitz. And I mean, as I said to you, I want you to say whatever you want, tell us about their courage, tell us about even you being courageous to look into this aspect of life um, that also affected you and your traditions and your family very deeply. Um,
3: I guess going from what we were just talking about Um, the nightmares got, they were overwhelming. I mean, I always knew they were going to come and, and tried everything as a psychotherapist, you know, you, you, you learn some tricks. And when I decided to go for my doctorate, I knew that I wanted to look at how women coped. And, um, for me, um, It had to be about women, Um, just because I I needed to know more about the connection for for myself. I had read a lot of books, and it seemed like the universe was pushing me in that way. Um, Elaine, you know the story. You know some of it. Um, I started my dissertation, and within a week, I met somebody who was working on the Steven Spielberg project, told me about it. I got involved very early. Um, I went and met with the people um, at the Spielberg um, Foundation. I was chosen as one of the five people internationally to work with the statistics because I was looking at coping mechanisms of women. Um, They were moving very slowly um, at that point. So then I was introduced to the director, oral history director at the United States holocaust museum an amazing woman just unbelievable and i sat with her and she said joy just as you're saying elaine it will take courage for you to look at the women's um voice and i kind of looked at her confused and she said this is not a topic that most people like holocaust survivors want us to talk from one voice and she said i did this research And I faced a lot of harassment and anger and uh, a lot of voices saying we shouldn't separate the voice. And she said, Joy, the coping in Auschwitz was was not the same because women experienced something different than men did and that you can't just put that together because it was so different. And then, you know, I talked to her for a while and it was, it made so much sense because at first the Nazis thought that if they killed all the the Jewish men, then Judaism would be done and they would have eradicated it and it would have, you know, that would have been it. But when they learned that Judaism is passed through the females, then it was, oh, we have to get rid of the women. And so then it was how many women can we kill and how quickly can we do that? And I worked with 13 um, survivors of Auschwitz from various um, countries that came. I became very close to them. Now, when you talk to men, uh, whether you talk to Viktor Frankl or or, um, some of the other great names, Prima Levy, etc., when they talk about coping in Auschwitz and living through that experience... They talk about what they did. You know, maybe they they kept their dignity by, um, by shining their shoes every day. Maybe it was for the jobs that they did. But when you talk to women, their experiences were much different. And it was about connectedness. It was about I survived because I had this connection to this person and we could talk about this. And it was about going back home and trying to be with people and this hope. And the the experiences were so much different. And for women, the courage came to speak their voice about people that they loved. I'm not saying that men didn't do that. I'm saying that was the driving force for women That was their courage. It was connectedness. And you know this other part of the story when I started doing this conference. Last year I asked 5,000 people what has gotten you through the pandemic? What have you used? How have you coped? And I did men and women. And the greatest majority of the people said that what they have survived, how they have survived is because of connectedness because of their family and friends and it was overwhelming and i think
2: well, <laughs> you know I as point. you as you're, as you're talking about this you know in the two models that i've developed the trauma resiliency model and the community resiliency model we talk about survival responses and there's the survival responses that we know fight flight and there's freeze when you know we immobility we can't move but we talk about tending and befriending And tending and befriending comes from the work of Dr. Shelley Taylor. Um, I I think she's at UCLA. And she's talked about, and this is primarily in women. It can be in men too. And I haven't seen any uh, research regarding non-binary individuals. But basically, then the, the kind of survival imperative is to tend to others and befriend them and that increases chances of survival. And if you think about what women do over the ages, right? They were in in charge of protecting the children, protecting the social group. So when you tell me this, that little spark just said, well, of course that's tending and befriending. And I really wanna point out that there's some, there's another term in the literature that I personally do not like, and they call it fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And fawning to me is kind of more progerative, like almost, denigrating feminist characteristics feminine characteristics that we um over over care for others and that's actually a maladaptive response but when we think about and one of our our community resiliency model teachers um said to me once really elaine what i've learned from from your organization is that it's fight flight freeze and friend (laughs) and i love that right and so i thought i am going to adopt that and that's the way we're going to talk about it because that's what you're talking about and so that is about a survival strategy that is about our well-being, And it also is about our courage. So that is exciting to think about that, that connection between what you found out and asking that question and also what you found out um, in Auschwitz and I with the Auschwitz survivors. So I don't know if you have a comment to make about that, but that's just really exciting to think about the connection.
3: Well, for me, it was also exciting in that when I look at the research for males in Auschwitz, once again, they talked about what they did, what which we would call problem solving coping. Um, and it was about an action. Women did something emotional, so it was emotional focused. When I did this study last year, and I've been doing it this year with, with all of the participants as well, So now we're up to about 7,500 people who have sent in responses. It's exciting to me to to hear men say um, that the most important thing to them is family and friends. And they're not saying things like work or what I have achieved or doing this or that. It's truly about connections and I think that moves us further along in some way, because I think now as a universe, we see the importance of this connectedness
2: and without it, we are nothing. Yeah. Well, and you know that I've asked that question. We actually had a conversation about this a, a couple of years ago that I've asked that question everywhere I go, what uplifts you, what helps you get through? And I mean, basically people say family, friends, Um, That probably is the primary thing that people say. And that is um, uh, regardless of how people identify themselves, you know, non-binary men, women, um, that's what's important. And so when we think about courage, you know, the things that we stand up for, our values, our beliefs, it's not only about us as individuals, but the collective. And that's, you know, when I, and that's what I'm wondering. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I know the answer to this more than a discussion about it, that if women tend to tend to tend and befriend, more than males is there something about the courage because people have been talking about that in the press i've been reading following some of it, saying huh isn't that interesting that you've had some of the women of the uh, administer prior administration speaking up and talking about their truth to power regarding their values and beliefs because it was it was greater than their political party and so then it seems, oh well, that would make sense what you're talking about because that's about caring for your family, your children. And that gets me back to the rule of law again and the values of our democratic republic. Right. So I'm just, it's, it's just fascinating to me to think about um, the interconnected to this when we talk about courage. Absolutely.
3: And I think we all display courage in a different way. Maybe typically women show it through connectedness. I think for so many years, men have showed it through protection in a different way. Um, Either way, it takes courage to stand up in any way. And I think it's very easy to be silent. And we see that. We saw that during the Holocaust. Many people were silent. And we see that today. There are so many people that choose to not
2: speak up. And that's what I think we need to be fearful of. Right. Because the the not speaking really is speaking. Yes. If that makes sense, right? Yes. Because it's letting stand. If it's vitriol, if it's hatefulness, then you're saying, I stand with that. If you don't say something that is contrary to that. Because I guess one of the things too that I want to talk a little bit more after we take our break in just a couple of minutes is that when I went to the United States Holocaust Museum, It was a very difficult day going through um if you haven't gone i really encourage people to go i think the thing the shoes um that were just tons of shoes of the of people that were killed little little people shoes, you know big shoes all shoes of different colors or something about the way they displayed it that really struck to the immensity of it and the way they created the display but as you go through the experience of the dehumanizing of Jews and others, you know, you know, yes. um, it was, it was quite powerful to me. And then I was really grateful too after going through that experience to getting to some of the endpoints about the, the part of the exhibit was about people who stood up, people who hid children, people who who were maybe silent with words, but not with actions.
3: Yes, the righteous Jews. The, the righteous. The, yes,
2: and you know, the people like, you know, Schindler and other, I mean, that's just one, but you know, the people that stood up, and I always would want to say, I hope I'm one of those people that would stand up. But do we, how do we know that we'd be that way, right? Because people did that in spite of it being perilous to their lives.
3: It was very perilous for those that hid children or helped them escape or help do anything. And today, it's the same way for those of us who who help other people who are in the line of fire. And it's what you do when you every week help the people in Ukraine and you have not stopped. You are one of those people who stands up and never stops.
2: Well, I'm hoping that I would do that um, under the circumstances that happened in parts of Europe during the you know World War II times, but I think that we also have to face that this is the times that are happening right now. And it's not about yesterday, it's about now. And that's why I think acts of courage and how we speak up and not be silent are so important. So when we come back from the break, um, Joy, I would love to continue this conversation, because how do we cultivate that You know, how do we, you know, move past our fear? I mean, there's one thing to say it, there's another thing to do it. And I know there's times that I've, you know, spoken up when I've been really afraid of the consequences, but I've done it anyway. I haven't always done it though. So there's been a discernment. And I don't know if you've had that experience as well, but I hope that we can talk a little bit more about that. When we come back from the break because i mean i think i've just asked you one of the questions that we prepared (laughs) i told you there's never any um problem when joy and i get together that we have a lively conversation about whatever we're interested in and we also want to talk about resiliency 2022 when we come back from the um uh from the break because she's got some exciting guests that will be speaking and some international guests and some people for example from ukraine that are living through an unspeakable tragedy right now and are not being silent about trying to bring um healing to the ukrainian people even though uh they are suffering through this current crisis and we will be back in just a couple minutes and we will continue our conversation with with dr joy miller and again talk more about resiliency 2022.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica.
0: The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and in communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine miller Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine Miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope.
1: Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller-Karris. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Welcome back. I'm Elaine Miller-Karris, and I'm talking to Dr. Joy Miller. We're talking about um, the conference that's going to be coming up. She's going to tell us a little bit more about that resilience 2022, but we've been talking about courageous women. And we've been talking about joy's work. um, The certain who survived Auschwitz. And we were talking about using correct semantics, not to say, oh, they died, but that they were murdered. And I want to just talk a little bit more about why that's important to use the language of what the truth was about what happened there, Joy.
3: Um, well, and we were talking about this during during the break that um, I feel that it, it takes courage to use the power of the words. Um, for me, they were exterminated. These weren't um, prisoners. They were survivors of massive trauma and i think when we i think we try and sometimes n- use normalized words so that it doesn't hurt so much or it doesn't sound so i don't know maybe dramatic and i think about the survivors who came here after the war and they were told to never speak of it and courageous people maybe it took them 15 years, maybe it took them 20 years, but then they said, this isn't right. We need to talk about this because it was killing them to keep it inside. And I think for all of us, when we don't talk and tell our story and we don't talk about our courage to stand up for whatever, it kills us inside. And I think we have to use the words that that go with those
2: feelings, and
3: sometimes they are strong,
2: and that reflect what really happened. Because otherwise, that's another way of keep saying keeping silent. And yet, I do know that there are many people who've had who have uh, experienced unspeakable traumas that it's difficult to talk about it because of what it does to them. Yes. And I don't want anyone to think that oh, you have to talk about it. But I think if there's some somebody that you could just be with at those times when you're feeling wobbly and saying. All of a sudden I had a reminder to what had happened and mm-hmm. I need to hold someone's hand or just have someone put my their arm around me. Sometimes the best way that we can support people who've had a lot of trauma is by being physically present with them and saying, you can tell me as little or as much as you want about what happened, but just know whatever, I am right here with you. Absolutely, and I think we've both been in situations like that with friends, family, and with, with people who've come to us because of being trauma therapists. So I'm, I'm wondering too, um, I was thinking again, kind of circling back to this um, idea of courage um, and about silence. And, you know, we sometimes, you know, sometimes when you don't say anything, people who see your silence feel that you may be part of whatever kind of the hateful messages I mean, we should talk a little bit about that because I know there's times when I've spoken up and I have felt, oh my gosh, I am going to get in so much trouble. And it could be small things. You know, We're talking about big things, life and death things, but we're also talking, I can remember many years ago, working like 30 years ago, working at a certain um, institution and they were accepting money from the government for something they weren't providing. And it was about helping children and parents And I actually, I tried to go through the system and talk to the supervisor. I actually talked to the vice president of this institution and they didn't change it. So I decided to call the state of California and report them. And I'm sure um, uh, I didn't necessarily say to them, well, I didn't say to the institution, but they asked me, can we use your name? And I remember sitting there going, oh, I don't know if I want them to use my name because then, and then I finally decided it would make it more powerful to sit because I knew the system and I said, okay, now that's not, in, that was, that was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. I don't regret it, but even as I'm thinking about it right now, I have a little knot in my stomach about saying, but, but it wasn't about me. This is the thing for, for this situation. It was about something bigger than me. It was about children and parents and families who were compromised. And me not speaking up for a service that should be provided that they said they were doing but they weren't, to me was against my values and beliefs, and so that was a different thing for me, and that's why I stood up in that case. But I have a harder time personally speaking up for myself if I'm um, if some injuries being done to me than I have speaking up for someone else who's being injured. I don't know if you're co- what, do you, what do you want to comment oh, on that.
3: No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I I think. It, probably many of us have that. Um, many women have that. Um, but I think f- for all of us, it, it takes bravery to, to speak to your values and to your truth. And um, sometimes it's easier than other times. And sometimes it's, you know, as we've talked about before, it's picking your battles Um, and some of the things that you talk about, these are the battles.
2: Yeah. And so I I think what I want to say to all of you listening is that, you know, it's, it's not only the larger issues, there's the smaller ones. And sometimes there's the microaggressions that we sometimes talk about that someone may say something and they go, well, that's not, should I really say something? Oh, maybe it's not such a big deal, but it's kind of like one microaggression builds upon another to another until it can topple us over. And so that's why, you know, in respectful ways, sometimes just saying, well, you know, when you said that to me, did you realize that it made me feel a certain way? Um, So I'm just wondering if we can have a conversation about that. Because sometimes, I mean, I'm certainly, I have certainly committed a microaggression that I didn't know about, but if I have a conversation, I said, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that, I am so sorry. Otherwise we keep injuring each other without knowing it. And if we can sit there and at times apologize, but I think there's also something that happens and I know this is happens to me. And I remember I was a young person that someone said this to me and they said, well, then you're just so powerful. And when you speak, you always speak with such conviction. Sometimes people won't won't speak up against what you're saying. And I know that happens because I've been in many leadership roles, but that doesn't mean that I see myself that way, if that makes (laughs) sense, Joy, because I would want someone to speak up to me and say something that doesn't mean I'll agree with them. But I, I often, you know, think about that. I love it when people do disagree with me because then I can have a conversation and maybe they'll open up an avenue that I hadn't thought about. So I'm just wondering what you think about that. No, I,
3: I agree with that. Um, without that kind of interaction, um, you know, we can't learn, we can't, um, grow. So I, I would agree with that. Um, very much so. And I'm not saying that when I speak up, I, I, I'm not fearful. I am. I I could go through my head and I hear that little voice going, Oh, you shouldn't have said that, or you, that wasn't perhaps the right thing to, to do. But, um, there are things that, um, I just have a conviction that we, that I have to speak to. I like right now. My conviction is to speak and have a mission about helping people survive in this ever-changing world. And I look at um, myself, and I will say this out loud. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but at 71 years old, I look at my time and say. What do I want to do for the rest of my life? And yes, I could sit on a beach and drink whatever, even though I don't drink. <laughs> but, um, but, it, but for me, my life needs to be giving back at this point because there were, we talked about this before the show, Elaine, there were people as a, as a young leader who weren't there to help me. And and there were men who were in the way and did not like having a woman come into their world. Um, and for many of us, we had to break through some some glass ceiling kinds of things. Um, but now it's about helping whomever I can.
2: Well, and that's where the I think we can both say that we're both elders now, and that. As elders, I mean, there's such a value of being an elder because we've lived through so much. And we also see cycles repeating itself. Like, we can't, I can't say with what's just happened with the Supreme Court decision. And women of our generation worked really hard for reproductive health, to be able to take birth control pills, to choose when we have a child, for example, and if we wanted a child at all. And right. that wasn't always the case. And that certainly led to having more choices and women being involved in more things where they could be decision makers and help use their wonderful brains um, in many different businesses that we've seen, you know, across the world or seeing, you know, women like Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of the UK, um, or seeing um, different people that we may respect that have leadership positions that we can say, wow, that would have been impossible, you know, in the past, you know, there's even I mean, my daughter, we, we were talking the other day. And she said, Is it really true that in the 70s that uh, women couldn't apply for credit cards without um, having permission of their 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 husbands. I said, I think that's true. Um, I, you can't quote me on that, but I think that's true. That wasn't that long ago, for those of us that were you know young people in the '70s, and to think of how far we have come, and then to think about that retreat happening. Um, so, women having the autonomy to make decisions about their body was a huge thing, and and we didn't keep silent during those times. Did we joy? No, we didn't. We were, uh, I don't know about you, but I was out protesting. Yes. I mean, you know, we, many of us were doing that at that time. And um, so I really think it's important that, you know, we're talking about not being silent in so many different kinds of, of I think settings and that including the me too movement. I mean, when that movement started, there were so many women, famous women, that for example, were abused by Harvey Weinstein, who never said a word because of how much power he had until they decided not to. And that silence opened up a whole plethora of women finally saying, "Not, no more, not enough. I mean, that man is in prison right now for the kinds of things that he did. That if we don't speak up, and, and I think the people that first spoke up, it was to great peril to themselves, um, for their careers and everything else that um they had worked hard to attain. And so, as much as I love to say, oh, we're a world that's changed and that we don't have the system of patriarchy that sometimes gets in the way, but it's still it's still very alive and present. But I think that we have more and more people speaking up to it. And that doesn't mean that it's not it's it's not it's it's a difficult thing. And I also learn, you know, there's a word called misogyny, you know, people that, you know, hate women. And some of the worst misogynists I've met in my career have been women who kind of haven't realized that they are kind of, uh, continuing to have a certain stance that disempowers women from getting ahead. And so or saying things that are egregious, not realizing sometimes in their actions that they're creating, um, more injustice. Mm-hmm. So. I know I'm kind of on a little soapbox there for a second there, Uh, um, Joy, but I don't know if you have a comment to make about that, but I just have been thinking about that a little bit later, lately.
3: Gosh, I don't even know what to say after all that. That'll get us into another whole show. I think
2: that probably will do do a whole other thing, but I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, in my life, I, I have tried to speak up when I've needed to speak up. It hasn't always been popular. Um, I've spoken up in, in um, when plays people haven't had a voice and wanting to give them a voice. And then I have found there are certain people that will just say such egregious things to you. And they they have come from such a place of advantage that they don't really care what they say to you. And for those individuals, I've felt I've had to speak up even it's been speaking up through tears. And I've learned that tears are valuable to me. I don't look them and look at them as a sign of weakness, but sometimes a, a, a sign of my empowerment, that I can feel deeply about something and express my opinion about something. So that may be different than many people think about you know what presents strength and courage but to me that also comes from leaning into my vulnerability and saying wait a second no we can't we can't live that way and i i'm thinking about my mom right now and my mom was a spunky person oh my goodness she came to this country from el salvador when she was in her um early 20s and she couldn't speak english she wanted a different life And I have never seen someone who was more empowered than my mom because sometimes because she had a very thick accent, people would, um, when I was a little girl, she would be saying something and let's say the the store clerk would look at me. She goes, what did she say? And she'd go, you look at me. (laughs) She's a little girl. (laughs) You talk to me. They may have had a hard time understanding her, but she knew then that that wasn't right. And she was not a person to keep silent. So I think I learned a lot from her um, even though there were some struggles with her from her strong, sp- sp- you know, spunky personality, but she—I learned from her to speak up. And I thought, wow, what a courageous woman she was, coming to a new country, coming, um, knowing that she had had, you know, hardship in El Salvador when she left, and thinking about all the people who've come to this country um, because of hardship, like what's happening in Ukraine right now, and all the people that are being displaced because of the war, or looking at people who came here before and after World War II, because of hoping that we would be a country in the United States that had the rule of law. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important to me um, to have those protections. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of a philosophy of Elaine. And I, I, I think I learned how to be an American from my mom more than my dad who was born here because she valued that in that way. So I don't know nope, if you have any thoughts about that. Joy.
3: I, I, I think there's strong women that obviously have led you to where you are. My mother was a very strong woman in her own way, um, usually by using humor, but um,
2: you knew what what she meant. <laughs> well, and I think that brings us to the topic that is dear to both you and I, how we became friends, which is about your resiliency conference. And I really want to talk a little bit more about that because now how many years have you been doing this? Let's talk a little bit about the history and talk about this year and the things that you have in store for people. Well, this is actually our fourth year,
3: but it's the third year that we've done a webinar, obviously because of COVID, but uh, it's beginnings when um, we were no longer able to do it live. Um, We thought, how can we do this? The mission was um, to, to bring skills and strategies to people who were struggling um, in the world, and I remember um, when we talked about this, I thought, who can I call that would be a big name and that might help us out? And my first phone call was to Erin Brockovich because I had I had met her before; she had done a um, she was a speaker for uh, a program that I had, and I called her and said, I want to do this this webinar. And I want to talk to people who would donate their time and their talent to talk about resiliency and how they're coping. And I feel like I need some people that are celebrities that, you know, people would want to hear um, what they have to say. And she said, of course, Joy, I'll do it. Anything you want. And then I found that as I called other people like you or whomever, that people were willing to give of themselves because the mission was all the same. We knew we were all struggling. We were all hurting. We were all grieving. We didn't know what to do. And so this connectedness um, grew. And the first year we had, um, I think we had 60, we had participants from 62 countries that came to our conference and we had 35 speakers last year. We had, participants from 111 countries around the globe, hence the globe as my backdrop and and my scarf. Um, And we had over
2: 7,000 participants around the world. Okay, so Joy, it's really important because I wanna say this more than once, and we'll say it at the end of the program too. If people want to register for your Resiliency 2022, which is on September 9th, 2022, does it cost money? It is free. It's completely free. Okay. Did you hear that?
3: It's four and a half hours. And this year we'll have 42 speakers that will be uh, clinicians. There'll be musicians. There'll be famous people like Jewel or Ariana Huffington, or it could be uh, politicians like Dick Durbin. There will be 42 different influencers that will speak everybody speaks for four minutes and i have to say that i'm one of the
2: influencers i can't believe it but i'm in that bucket so i will be also speaking for four minutes elaine is our first speaker actually
3: (laughs) after we we are talking to people from around the world so we have speakers from rwanda ireland jordan canada australia israel and i know i'm missing some others. but we really are getting more of a global feel and we hope next year to actually broadcast from different countries around the world
2: so, so how and, do people uh, register though how do they where do they go to register oh, that's a really that's an
3: important question isn't
2: yes, it it is it is so
3: it's very easy you go to resiliencyandhappiness.com so resiliency you have to be able to spell resiliency and happiness.com It's free. And what we did this year, because I know you have a global audience, our our program is from 12 to 4 Eastern time. So for Australia, it is two in the morning. So what we do is we record the show and everybody has a week to watch the show. So you can watch it at your leisure and you're given a link to watch it so that you don't have to be up at two in the morning or four in the morning. If you're living in great Britain or who knows where, or Afghanistan um, where it will be available to you. And I, I think that's an important part of this.
2: No, and that's exciting. An exciting part about it too. So I want to say resiliency and Did I say that right? Correct. So I want to make sure that you go and sign up. Um, I have, feel so honored to be part of the conference and to introduce some of the international speakers that have been people that I've worked with around the globe. And, um, and I also just want to say to you, Joy, I cannot believe we, we just have a few minutes left. It went by really fast this time. Really is that, fast. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage. I can't even imagine, because if, if you all remember, Erin Brockovich, uh, in case people don't know who she is, Julia Roberts won an Academy Award playing her in a, a very important movie. But I, I can't imagine, oh, hi, Erin, this is Joy Miller, and I would like to know if you'd like to be on Resiliency 2022. <laughs> I love that you do that, because the first year I was on, you had Glenn Close, you had You had all these celebrities. I had Jill
3: Biden. You had Jill
2: Biden. I mean, you had a lot of people that were there. Um, And I'm just going, wow, this is just amazing. So um, I want you all to know that um, I respect Joy Miller so much. I really do look at you as a sister from another mother. And when I think of the work that you've done throughout the world and how inspired you were um, and still are by um, the women that you met who survived Auschwitz and the murder of so many people and children and all and that you are working on behalf of all of us to cultivate well-being because hopefully if we do that maybe we'll avoid having anything like that happening again and if any time is ripe right now there's so much happening in the world that we need to remember what else is true so i'm going to give you please what are the final words we just have a couple minutes left what do you want to leave our guests with today I think it is about
3: finding your courage to stand up for what you believe in and to speak out and to really empower yourself to be who you are, whether you're living wherever, it's to take that step and to speak your truth and that's what i hope for
2: everyone and i hope that our connectedness makes us all stronger and and i think that i can't agree more and joy thank you for that wisdom um i'm i'm just so grateful to know you and know that in the last years of your life that you are not stopping that you're continuing to remind us all what else is true how can you maybe speak up when you've been you've been afraid what are the things that will prompt you to say I can't be silent about this. Who knows? It could be speaking up to your child's teacher who's treated your child disrespectfully. Who knows what it is? But I think that if we show up you know, in our best selves and say, no, enough is enough. Can't treat my kid that way. Can't treat my family that way. No, this is not right. Just like Rosa Parks did, just like Cassidy Hutchinson did. No, I had to draw a line and take a risk because the consequences of not are too great if we're going to have justice, if we're gonna have peace, if we're going to live by laws and rules that we're dedicated to, because in the United States we're a democratic republic and how do we spread that, that all people's lives have value. So I just wanna say to my listeners, until we meet again, I'll be here again next week, next Monday, Um, we will yet have another marvelous speaker who will talk to us about their life, their work, their courage, and how they're trying to change the world. So thank you so much, Joy. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to say resilienceandhappiness.com. Don't forget, come and sign up. A completely free conference with amazing presenters. Thank you. Thank you so much.